Well, good morning. Um, as you can see, I have the lesson today. Daryl, I think, was getting back from a vacation, Grand Canyon or something, I heard. Um, so, he asked me not to follow through with what he was doing because he was in the middle of something he wanted to stay with in 1 Corinthians. So he goes, so go and find something yourself. I said, okay. So that was, that was even harder than I thought it would be because I thought, oh, following through, you kind of have a, a guideline. So I looked for different things I was going to do. But let's open order prayer right quick. Lord, we do thank you for this time we can gather. Open up your word to see what you have for us. We thank you for this this morning. Um, we just pray, Lord, pray you'll watch over, give us guidance, and then that we'll be obedient to what you have for us to do. We thank you for the ability to come and open your word as a group and to see what you have for us. We thank you for that. We thank you we have the freedoms in this country still. Just pray, pray that those freedoms will stay, that we'll um, speak up if we need to, to um, pursue those things, keep that, that, say, that freedom we have to still stay with us. So Lord, just pray Lord, that we'll bring honor to you and the things we discussed today, that it will be um, bring glory to you in what we do. Your precious name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Man. Okay. Let's start out by turning to Ezekiel 33. We'll read verses 1 through 11. And it's the title of Ezekiel being um, called as a watchman. So if David wants to start, well, 33 verses 1 through 11. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, When I bring the sword against the land, and the people of that land choose one of their men and make them their watchmen. Oh, Ezekiel 33, verses 1 through 11, you're on verse 3. And suppose he sees the sword coming against the land and blows his trumpet to warn the people. Then if anyone hears the trumpet but does not take warning and the sword comes, takes his life, his blood will be over. Be on his own head. Since they heard the sound of the trumpet but did not heed the warning, their blood will be on their own head. If they had heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people, and the sword comes and takes the life of one of them, that man will be taken away because of his sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable for his blood. Hold back to me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning before me. Warning from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from your hand. But if you do warn the wicked person to turn from their ways, and they do not do so, they will die for their sin, though you yourself will be saved. Now as for you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, you have said this, our transgressions and our sins are heavy on us, and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we survive? Say to them, as surely as they live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, O son of Israel, house of Israel? Say to them, as surely as I live, 
declares the Lord, the sovereign Lord. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn away from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? <clears throat> so <clears throat> um, Ezekiel is called to be a prophet, a watchman. He was a prophet, called to be a watchman of the people. And it's several times in scripture, the watchmen are called, but they're usually prophets that are, are brought forward to heed warning to the peoples. And it kind of follows what they're doing is the watchman and, and is, is being called upon as being um, like a, a servant of the people to warn them. If you look back at the history of a watchman, even before this time, you know, early, early villages, early growing, gathering of people, the watchman is usually the one that would stay by the crops. Um, crops are almost getting ready to be harvested. You don't want a wild animal coming in, destroying it, so they would put somebody out there by the crops to watch it. Um, you don't want enemies coming through and stealing it, so you'd have the watchman there to watch it. He usually has a horn to blow, so he, if more than what he can handle comes up, he can't run back, to, take time to run back to the enclosed city, town, fort, to dad the people to come and help, so he has a horn, he blows, blows that horn, so people will come to realize there's a problem and come and help him. So the um, metaphor, the picture of a watchman in scripture is, is someone who is looking out for crops, for people, for what's, you know, being aware of what, being alert, being aware of what's happening. And so it's just kind of an interesting um, concept. One of my favorite verses in Habakkuk, and there he's watching from the wall. And the, the prophet Habakkuk is watching from the wall, and it's kind of one of my favorite passages I kind of go back to. But I was looking at, you know, how does the principles of what a watchman, what the watchman is doing, how does that work in our own lives? How can we be watchmen? And who should we be watchmen for? Do we have responsibilities as a Christian to be watchmen? You know, do, um, as a parent, are we responsible for watching over our kids' welfare, you know, well-being and welfare? Should we be taking an active role in being concerned for our children, for our siblings, for our church members, for our country? You know, what role should we take as being watch out for what we can do to help others? I've often thought that, you know, if God gives us the ability to do something, we should use that ability. And whether that be if I'm walking down the street and seeing two guys beat up on somebody that's not, you know, should I step in or just walk on by? In my nature, I would step in. I might get hurt, but, but I would step in. You know, that's my nature. I, if God's given me the ability to do something, I'm usually going to do it and, you know, try to do something about what I see. It's not always the smartest thing in the human aspect because you can't get hurt doing it that way. But I, I really think that, you know, we have the responsibility as Christians to fulfill that, that ability. If we have the ability to do something, we should do that. So main thing, that, what, what can we do? Okay, let's lift it back in Ezekiel's time. What was, what was taking place during Ezekiel? Where are we at? Israel was in captivity. Okay, you have two tribes. You have north and south. What's happened? They both go into captivity. What's Ezekiel's timelines on that? Northern tribe was taken into captivity 120 years before this. So now Judah has been, has had the example of Israel. So Judah is who he's ministering to. And Judah has not heeded the warnings. They've had 120 years of, of seeing the example of what happened if you don't follow God. Judah hasn't done it. Is God impatient? Well, I'm not sure he's, I'm not sure the word impatient is really the right word, but he's like, 
I've warned, I've warned, I've warned, nothing's happened. So Ezekiel, he's like, I appoint you to Ezekiel to be a watchman for these people. You're just to be my voice to these people. And so basically he's told, <clears throat> if, if you see something coming and don't warn them, then I'm holding you responsible when it happens to them. But if you do warn them and they, you know, take, and they don't heed, then it's still their responsibility. You're clear of that responsibility of, of not warning them. So Ezekiel's been laid out with these, of what's happening. Did they take heed to his warnings? They are taken into captivity. They aren't slaughtered, but they are taken into captivity. And then, so he's with them. And then, um, looking at how we've looked at the prophets last couple, what's been your last year, I guess, now actually, you know, the different prophets, and that timeline, this is a little bit before that timeline. And so it's, you know, just kind of interesting when you look at the timelines of Scripture where it takes place. But, you know, so he was told to warn them and then, you know, basically take an active role in warning them. I think the principle is there for us also. But I really think the best way for us to do that is by prayer. You know, in the first aspect of things, we should pray. What's our prayer life, prayer life like? Are we adequately in a prayer life to where we can respond to, we can listen to God and then know what that, those warning signs are? In the Old Testament, these prophets were appointed to be watchmen. But in our, principle, in our life of Christians, we are actually have that same appointment in the responsibilities that we have, especially in our families and our church, our church families. So when you look at the ways we can pray, you know, first of all, you can kind of look at, um, well, let's look at Ephesians 4.15, just really quick, just to show the attitude we should take in place. So Ephesians 4.15, if someone read that. Instead of speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of whom he is the head that is Christ. At this point, he's talking about the church body as a, a church, the church family as a body. And so we all have different parts, different things we should do. But it's the attitude of what, how we should be doing this. How, what's the attitude we should take when we're worrying, concerned, or take, you know, trying to help others? It's the attitude of doing it in love. So we should need to be lovingly taking those responsibilities on, not in a commanding way, not in a this is what you're you know, supposed to do, but you know, move it over to where you know, I'm concerned about you and love is why we're bringing these things forward. It is so easy to be kind of judgmental or, um, I'm not sure what the word is, but you'd be, you know, to say you're not, you're not doing it the right way, you know, and demand them to do it the right way. And you demand it, but, it's, but in love is the attitude that they'll receive it best. So remember when everything you're, when you're dealing with other people, do it in a loving attitude, loving spirit. Even though you might be right in what you're saying, but make sure you're doing it lovingly. So, so, in our prayer life, when do we pray? When should we pray? Continually. So always, without ceasing. Um, I have scriptures about those up, but we know that they are, so we don't have to look all these up. But um, basically, we should pray without ceasing, pray continuously. And then, um, actually, there's different references to pray evening, morning, and noon. So why would they say evening, morning, and noon? Why not morning, noon, and evening? 
I think this Jewish culture, they, the day starts at night. I think that's what it is. I'm not, you know, sundown is the start of the day. So I think that's why it was, I'm not really sure why it was in that order, but that was just my I thought. Why would they say evening, morning, and noon? But I think it's because the process of the day starts in the evening, goes to the morning and noon. I believe that's the case. I could be wrong, but that's just my thoughts on it. And so basically the attitude is, though, the idea is pray without ceasing. You know, bring, that, bring those petitions forward. And then what type of things should we be praying for? The needs of others. The needs of others. Whether it be spiritual or physical. Pray for the sick. Anything else? Pray for opportunities to share the word of God. Okay, to, okay. to present that, present Christ to others. That would kind of come under wisdom and understanding sometimes also. Pray for those. There's um, scripture references to pray for even clothing, shelter, and food. So physical needs. Um, pray for this, um, scripture starts praying for that. Pray for First Timothy two four one through four. Pray for all men, for kings. Do I want to read that? First Timothy. First Timothy two one through four. This falls kind of into yours also. <clears throat> I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peacefully and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come uh, to a knowledge of the truth. We pray that we can pray that we can have a peaceful life. We probably should be praying more. <laughs> Our country doesn't seem very peaceful right now, <laughs> with all the different agendas and stuff coming forward. That's why you pray for peace. Important in that passage, though. <clears throat> Excuse me on that. Why is peace important in that passage? As far as that passage there is taking place, it says pray for peace. Why? Because of the attitude, probably. I don't know. You, you tell. It closes out with the people would be saved. Right. When does the gospel go forth? A peaceful leader, because it's usually about gospel leaders. goes forward a lot of times in war. <laughs> but, but a but peaceful it's, leader can cultivate an opportunity for us to freely share. So you're praying not just for peace; you're praying for salvation through that. Well, that that's certainly peace between God and man. Right, but not all. And I see you're saying on that, in the in the turning on that verse, yes. But um, by having the having prayed for the kingdom, pray pray the kings and the kingdom to be peaceful. Yes, that presents itself. But still, Afghanistan had a lot of people become saved, but not being peaceful. <laughs> and you do see it happen in persecution. But as we look at that verse and it talks about praying for leaders, mm-hmm. right? There's a purpose for praying for leaders too. One, that they would be saved. Two, that others may have the opportunity to become saved. Correct. 
And so as you look through Scripture, what they have different things you should pray for. It's a broad array of things to be praying for. And then pray without ceasing is the attitude of, of having it basically on your minds continuously, constant, constantly, constantly. And then um, 1 Timothy 5.17. You may know that by art. You should know that by art. Or you'll digest that. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. So you're praying for those people also. So who are you praying for? The elders, the pastor. <laughs> Follow your responsibilities. <laughs> In this case, this one needs it. <laughs> uh, so, you know, just different aspects of, of what to pray for, how to pray for it. And then in the case of our children, how do, we, how do we make sure we know where our kids are? How, how, do, we, how do we bring those things forward? You know, as your kids are younger, you probably won't know them because you're on a constant basis. But as they get older, you know. Do you mean how do we pray for them specifically? How do we, we how know, do we know how to house? pray for them? How do, we know, how do we keep that at lines of tune open where we know what they need to be knowing? How do how do we keep that knowing what they need, what spiritual leadership they need? I'm just looking for ideas mostly. <laughs> you have to spend time with them, right? You're going to have to, you know, if they're teenagers, you need to plan time. I turned off the radio because they were a captive audience in the car. So I turned off the radio and then talk or listen but you know as adults you, when you have adult kids you've got to plan sometime and what does Deuteronomy 6 say I think that's your starting point until we walk lay down and rise up why did you say that what does Deuteronomy 6 say at the beginning without walk along to, it's the walk with and talk with and it says, teach them these statutes. You teach right. them the word of God. That's your first aspect of knowing where they're at. Is that the ones you have on your forehead? Or you have the factors on your forehead? Is the same passage or different? Where you have the, where you carry the statutes with you all the time, so you have them? That might be a little bit later in that same, same aspect, chapter. But the, yeah, the commandment that we are to teach the statutes and the judgments with the Lord your God is commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and the commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. Okay, then, I, I think, let's, um, have someone read Romans 8, 26 to 20 and 27. This is the principle we should be guided by the Holy Spirit and how we pray also. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So in our own families, yes, we should 
have taught them. We should know where they're at kind of by spending time with them. But for those times we don't really know, the Spirit will help us also in that. I've heard stories of where, um, sorry, sorry, I'm thinking it was a mother was had had three kids who were in college, and they were all in the same college going, to some, going off to an event. But she prayed, and she had just had a strong feeling that they should not ride in the same car. So she called him and says, when you guys go up there for the weekend, don't ride in the same car. Like, Mom, why? I don't know why. I just have a feeling that, that you should not be in the same car. I don't know if something, I, I don't know why. But just, just don't drive in the same car, drive separately. I said, okay, Mom. And so they did. And it was northern country, ice country. And so um, as they're traveling, she gets a feeling that I need to pray for them again. So she called her husband. So we need to pray for our kids. And so they start praying for the kids. And he goes, well, why? What's up? Yeah, I don't know what's up. But God just laid my heart to pray for them. Well, in their traveling, they hit black ice. So the first vehicle was spinning out of control, almost hit head on. But then at the last minute, the, the tires hit the side of the road, swerved off into the ditch. But we, and then the second one was able to pull over, but because there was two of them, they were able to pull the first one back and dot it back in the road. And so she felt the answer was they were supposed to be in two vehicles, that so there was someone to help in the other one. But then the prayer was, you know, basically they didn't hit that truck head on. And so did she have knowledge of that happening? No, but the Spirit laid on her to be praying for that. And, and they checked the time, and it was almost the exact same time that the accident would have happened that she felt that she'd be praying more. So just kind of you know, that answer to, you know, the spirit being in control of that person's life and having that communion where she was able to pray and pray safety on those people. It doesn't always happen that way. But, you know, that is a circumstance in that story where it took place. So if we are in tune to what the Lord has for us to do, to be praying in those type of ways, then we'll be there for that. So... Um, if we, don't have, if we don't have faith that God is able to take care of things, there's not much need in praying. But if we have faith, then that prayer, you know, the attitude of whole prayers is strengthened by the fact we know that God will take care of those things that are, that are there before us. As a very different example, and for, uh, for a watchman earlier, I forgot the example. I forgot to say it. But I'll say it now because I thought of it. And besides that, Elijah might like it. So, so the story of... A flock of crows found a brand new corn field, just, just been harvested. So they f- come in, they fly into it, except for, so the whole flock descends on that. But as you look, two crows stayed up on top of a tree. What are they doing? They're the watchmen of the flock. And so they're up there like, oh, wow, this is, nothing's happening around here. Everybody's down there eating. We should be down there eating too, but we're up here, and no one's really watching. But unbeknownst to them, there's a, a man walking through. Here's the flock. He's the farmer. Wants to just over and look and, and see what's going on. So he makes it through the trees and makes a little bit of a sound. And he's watching the crows. And all of a sudden, one of the crows eating sees that farmer there. Sends out the stock and they all take off flying. But not away from him. They actually flew and attacked the two watchmen up there that hadn't warned him. So... The, being the watchman was an important job. They didn't fulfill it. And the rest of the crows decided, hey, he didn't warn us. There was no den involved. Nobody was there shooting anyway. It wasn't really a danger. But, but it was still the aspect that they should have been warned. They weren't, so they went up there. And so they ended up killing the two crows that didn't take care of it. 
this is from character sketches books, by the way. So this is, I remember I had to watch that. But I was interested in it earlier, but forgot. So it's kind of brought in the late time. But and I figured I was going to be here, so that's why I figured I'd have it for him. So. You, know, you know, Joe, that story is not as far off as uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, as a story as you might think, any of us that have gone hunting in the woods, mm -hmm. you'll hear a crow. <laughs> the watchman. Yeah. You know, warn warn this movement warn, down there. Warning the, the rest of the wildlife. I had an old friend of mine that used to call crows in to hunt. She had a, um, a distress signal set up, and we would hunt crows that way. But it was crows are amazing animals because they really are. Yeah. They're, they're and they they watch over what's going on pretty well. They really like corn. <laughs> yeah, they like corn. Debbie Debbie's attested to that. <laughs> She's afraid they're getting her garden. Okay, um, so what, what type of hindrances take step into our prayer life? What, what would stop us from having a successful prayer life? We get busy. We think we don't have time. I think to have a special prayer time, I think for me, was to know that this time set aside for that. And I try not to let anything come between. It doesn't mean it happens all the time. Right. No. But I think you, you have to plan to meet with God. And yeah, and, and that build a consistency out of it so it becomes yeah. a pattern. Yeah. I think unbelief steps in and a lot of times. I just don't think that prayer is going to do anything. Yeah. So... Um, James especially one, when, especially when you don't, a person doesn't see results of their prayer, and, right. and we all know that we may never see "quote unquote" those results, but they, there are results in God's way. Yeah. But one way to um, take care of that is to um, journal it and write your requests, and then yeah, yeah. when you see mm -hmm. that answer, it builds your faith. Oh, that's an answer. God gave me that answer to the prayer, you know. Right. I remember as a little girl, um, I found out that my father had an older sister that really was estranged from the family, the circumstances. And I remember I was probably 10 or 11, and I really felt burdened to pray that we would um, be able to develop a relationship with this aunt. And... It really seemed pretty far-fetched. And then I was, you know, it really built my faith as a child when I was probably 20 years old. And we found out that she'd come back to my grandmother and said, you know, I'm sorry for walking away. And from that point on, there was a relationship. You know? And uh, I just, I remember it because I was young and I went, I need to pray for things that, that you know, that appear that you're burdened about. If you take all of your burdens, whatever they are, to the Lord. James 1, 6 says, But when you ask, you must believe and know it, not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of sea tossed and blown by the wind. The person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Um, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. But... 
pray without expecting to have anything, but yeah. well, when, right. but be ready when it does. And yeah, some, sometimes the answer isn't necessarily what we well, want. There's three answers: yeah. yes, no, or maybe <laughs> later. <laughs> maybe later. But yeah, I just think you know, the, back to the concept of of being watch out for helping being on the guard for others. And, and uh, as you look at our country and where things are going even that way, it's like, how much should we speak out? How much should we step forward and say, we're not going the right direction? You know, I just always, it's one of those ponders I have in my own mind is how, how much step forward and say. Usually if someone's saying untruths, I will say something, but David sometimes knocks me the ribs, tell me I shouldn't say as much as I do sometimes. But. If you have an unforgiving spirit, some you know, the your your prayers probably are not going to have the same response. You know, it's it's your attitude comes over too on how you're doing that. If you have sin in your lives, what happens then? If you have sin in your lives, are your prayers heard. If you have a sinful nature, you're not, and you're not walking in the Lord, and you pray. What happens? Someone read Psalm sixty-six, eighteen. Psalm sixty-six, verse eighteen. Sits, he sits. Yeah, sits, sits, one, eight. Sits, he sits, 18. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So does he hear so we have sin in our heart? If he hears, he doesn't listen. <clears throat> James 4, verse 3. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. That's the wrong motives. You know, ask with, the, ask with what the will of the Lord has also, not, that, you know, not with your motives in mind. You know, don't think of what can I gain out of this by praying these prayers. You know, as as the person that's put in charge or watching over or, or being a watchman, you want to make sure you have the motives of the group you're doing, not for your own selves. Okay. Um, I kind of want, I was wanting to go through a bucket too, but I, I'm not sure we have time to do that. That's what I wanted to do. Well, it's like Jesus said, if you ask in my name, then it will be given to you, and in my name mean, means in his nature. Not really just if you say his name in the prayer. Yeah, there's a lot of times. It's about what God's will is, mm -hmm. and it isn't that everybody has a ski boat. <laughs> you mean you shouldn't put those things in your refrigerator and hope for them, pray for them? Apparently it's a ski boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Let's turn to Habakkuk. Go to Habakkuk. Habakkuk, chapter, well, we're starting. Chapter 3. Habakkuk, chapter 3. Okay. Paraphrase what happened in the first part of Habakkuk. So the invading army is coming down. Um, the Babylonians have wiped out the Assyrians. Now the Babylonians are being, are coming in and moving on south down through the area. And so Habakkuk, who is a prophet, is questioning why do why is there violence around? Why does God raise up a nation to destroy another nation and have that nation then be able to come and take take you know just you know move on south and be destroying? You know, why is there, you know, why does God tolerate wrongdoings? Why is there, why is there evil? These are all kind of questions to look around our own country and say, why? Why is it happening? So, um, verse 5 says, look to the nations and watch. And be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you, will, that you would not believe. Even if you are told, I will raise up the Babylonians, the ruthless and impetuous people, who sweep across the whole earth, to seize dwellings not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are the law, laws to themselves and promote their own honor. It talks about their horses being swift, their hordes advance, they take over land that's not theirs, they laugh at fortified cities. Um, they move on through. Habakkuk says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, this is verse 12 of chapter 1, sorry. My God, my, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have obtained, obtained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoings. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish of the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked fool pulls all of them to up with hooks. The wicked fool pulls them up with hooks. He catches them in his nets. He gathers them in his, in his dried dry net. And so he rejoices and is glad. So as you look at what, what's happening to the people around him, with the nations around him, he's like questioning why is... God, why, why are you allowing this to happen? This is not, this is not the good transition that we would expect to see, basically what he's saying. So verse, chapter 2 comes, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what, will, what he will say to me and what answers I will be given from these complaints. So he's complained, I was led for the Lord's answer. Verse 2, the Lord answers. Then the Lord replied, replied, who replied, Write down the revelation that make it plain on tablets, so that the herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. He speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come, and I will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not, his desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is the greed of the grave, and like death is never satisfied. 
He gathers in himself all the nations and takes captives of all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with reticule and secure same? Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? <clears throat> will, your, will your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and take them, make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. Because they have plundered many nations, the people will, who are left will plunder you, plunder you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house and be unjustly gained. Setting his nest on high, it escapes the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many people. Shame for your own houses and fortify your life. Shame, um, the stones of the wall will cry out, and the beams of the wood, woodwork will echo on. It goes on. Same type of attitude. And... Um, comes down to verse 15, verse 18. And what value is the idol craving of the craftsman for an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trust in its own creation, he makes idols and cannot speak. Woe to him who says to the wood, come to life, or the life of the stone wake up. Can it be given guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The Lord is his holy temple. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. So he's, he's seeing the ridiculous, you know, the, the fact that these things are taking place, but the people aren't turning. And the Lord is, is um, the one that's in his temple before that. So at the end, chapter 3, the prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, is being reached out to the Lord. And so destruction's all around. The place has been, everything's been ruined, destroyed. And he prays back to the Lord. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in, my, in your day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon, the holy man from the high mountain, Mount Paran, the holy one from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filleth the earth. His splendor was like that of sunrise, rays flashing from his hand, where his power was hidden. Plague went before him, pestilence before the steps. He stood and shook the earth. It looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Christians in distress, the dwellings of Midland in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you wage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bowl, you called for many arrows, you split the earth with rivers. You split the earth with rivers. Yeah, my mouth, right. And the mountains saw you and writhed. Torrent, the water, the water swept by. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and the, lifted the waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the bare heavens as the glint of your arrows flied. At the flying arrows flew by. At the lightning of the flashing spears. In wrath, you stole through the earth. You strode through the earth. In anger, you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save their anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land in witnesses. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head. 
when his warriors stormed out to scatter them, gloating as though, as though about to devour the wretched who were there in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churned the great wave waters. You heard my heart pound. You heard my heart pounding, and my lips quivering to the sound. Decaying crept to my bones, and my legs trembled. Then he was scared. Yet I was. I will wait patiently for the day of the calamity to come to the nations invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes in the vines, though the olive, creep fail, olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pens and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful for the God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. For the director of the music is on the string team and on my string instruments. So, in this in this passage, he's basically seeing destruction come on the land, but yet his hope is not in what he can do from the land. It's on where where his peace is, and that's through Christ, through God, through the Spirit. So that's what he's, he's dwelling on. He's realizing the sovereign Lord is in charge. So, as we sit there and as as we Pray for those around us. We realize there's going to be things that are coming on us, on them that we won't be able to control. We can pray for, we can walk to them, we can guide them, we can just walk beside them and guide them in the place they go. But ultimately, the Lord's in control, and it's His sovereign will that takes place. So as we, our commission as watchmen, as as those are are watching over others, you know, we have responsibilities to do. Um, I think it changes by the position you're in. If you're just the father of a family, it's different from that of being the pastor of a church. If it's, you know, there's different responsibilities for different people that are laid out. And so as we go about our duties, we should, you know, look to see where God wants us to be, pray, and have that um, attitude of being, bringing their needs of those underneath us at all times. And so... And then also pray for those above you. So as as pray for your church leaders. Man, my throat is just totally gone. Pray for the church leaders. But you know, so basically the aspect of of how we are to walk our lives is basically in, in that the attitude of you know we aren't we aren't doing this for ourselves. We're in it for others. We're supposed to be there, guiding, directing, praying for, caring for others as we go about. And so. It was kind of the lesson I wanted to kind of bring forward that, and how we're about doing a little bit of how we are supposed to, how we should take care of those that are with us around us, whether it be our siblings, whether it be our church family, whether it be our, our own children, or those in leaders over top of us. So, this is it. Any questions? Well, it's kind of scattered. But, I didn't have. I won't use. I really thought it would be easier to continue. I really thought it would, but yeah. Let's close word for Lord. We do thank you for the fact that you are a gracious God, that you are there to watch over, to guide, to direct. Let us be obedient where you have us go. Guide us and and let us be obedient to do the things you want us to do, meet the people you want us to see, and meet. And Lord, just be there to. Guide and direct that we will have a, a footstep, your footsteps to follow through life. 
We thank you for that. We pray for this hour. We pray for the next hour to come. Our heart brings a message. We Lord, just pray for this week that we will be obedient and take what we learned today and carry it on through the weeks, the week and weeks as we go about. That we will be your example, your ambassadors in this world. This world that we are actually just traveling through. We aren't, it's not our home. It's not where we belong. We're here just for a short time and then we'll be gone. Give us the um, strength, the encouragement, and the power to go forward. In your precious name we pray. Amen.